Turn with me, if you have your Bibles with you, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And how about if we open up in prayer here for our, for, from the Word of God tonight. Oh, Father God, we just look to you for Holy Spirit to make this connection, Father, from our hearts, Lord God, uh, with the Word. Uh, Father, that it would not come from my head to other heads, but from my heart, Father God, to the hearts of the people here. Connecting Holy Spirit, making that connection, Father, uh, that, Lord God, we would leave here with an assurance from your word, Father God, uh, in these days ahead. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. What was on my heart to share for tonight, uh, the title is very simple, Worry Not, the Father Loves You. And we are just living in a day where there's so much worry out there. It's just incredible. Uh, to live on planet Earth today, you get attacked with worry. And, that, and what we do with it is what matters. And uh, so I've been led the Lord to come here tonight with, about that topic. I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about uh, worry, what it is, what worry can do to us, why worry is wrong, why we shouldn't do it. I think everybody kind of knows this, although I will make a few comments. I want to focus more on why worry is something we must resist uh, and how our loving Father God has made a way for us to leave here tonight with those very important principles that we want to walk in. Uh, so I want to make a few comments, though, about worry itself. Uh, maybe let's just keep this real simple. I heard it said one time, uh, worry is faith in the devil's promises. That's good enough for me. Yeah. Devil has promises for you, and he wants you to believe in them. And he wants you to put faith in them. So worry is faith in the devil's promises. You know, worry is showing that if we don't trust Father God at His Word. Doesn't want us to take what the Word of God tells us and hold it dear to our hearts. Wants us not to trust it. Wants not to trust the promises of God. So, faith, so worry is an enemy of faith for you and me. Uh, so why uh, worry? Uh, worry is faith in the devil's lies. Uh, and the evil one will lie to us all daily. And the Bible tells us the, uh, the devil is a liar and there's no truth found in him. So all of us are going to hear lies every single day of why you're not going to make it and why the worst is going to happen and the worst scenario is painted in our heads. Will I believe that? Will I dwell on it? I'm not supposed to be doing this. I always tell folks, whenever you spot the devil's lies, the opposite is always true because he's a liar. You're not going to make it. Thank you for telling me that. Now I know I'm going to make it. You'll never be healed. Thank you. Now I know I'm going to be healed. Hey, it's uh, the devil's a liar. So obviously the opposite is always true. So encourage yourself in that. That when you hear the lies that you want to dwell on, no, hey, what am I doing? The opposite I want to dwell on. So faith here is a big issue. Worry is holding on to an outcome that we do not see, yet we believe in it. What an amazing thing. Uh, when we worry, we're leaning more on our five senses, right? Our reasoning ability, and we're not leaning upon God's Word and our faith in His Word. So I don't want to be living by my five senses and by my reasoning mind. God will never be found by the rational mind. He'll be found only in the faith arena. And it's very important that we live in that arena. Uh, so what we really have here is there's a temptation to worry. And uh, that is uh, the sin of worry. Uh, worry is a temptation to sin. Uh, there's no sin in being tempted, but it's what you do with it that matters. 
It's what you do with that temptation can lead us into sin. So when we have a temptation to worry, do the opposite. Do the opposite. Because the enemy would like to have people sin so that we have all our fellowship with God hindered. Right? All our confidence, all our spiritual strength comes from fellowship with him. And if our fellowship is hindered, we have no strength. We have no power in our prayers. We have no confidence in Christ. So worry is disguised as an attack against the faith that comes from the fellowship we have with him. So God doesn't fellowship with us as a, in that five sense arena, in the rational mind arena. He fellowships with us in the spirit realm because it is his realm, he is spirit. So that sin of worry will always block the very fellowship that we need from him. So we want to be very sure that we don't let that happen to us. So again, uh, what's more at stake here is more than, um, oh, what might happen to me as we play these scenarios in our mind. What's more important here is our fellowship with Father God is under attack. And that's something you must protect that your fellowship with the Father is not hindered. Because if you're going to be into worry, you're not going to be into faith with Him. That's going to just, you can't have both at the same time, right? Light and darkness can't dwell together. One's going to give. And uh, we want Him to invade my thoughts, invade my mind, invade my heart, that He keeps me in a settled peace, not with every scenario that might happen. Now, some people I'm sure would be quick to say, but you don't understand the problems and the circumstances I have. They're real. They're pressing in on me. I believe you. They are. But in the midst of uh, the real pressure that we have against us, uh, you're going to be thinking about something. Whenever pressure is in your life, you're going to think about something. The question is, what is, are you going to have go through your mind? You're not going to be blank. Or otherwise you have no brainwave. You're, you're going to be thinking about something. Whether you like it or not, you're always going to talk to yourself. You always talk to yourself. And, but what are you talking about? Are we going to dwell on how big our problem is or how big our God is? That is a decision each of us have got to make. Because that will dominate our thoughts. One of those will dominate. How big the problem is or how big our God is. So we're going to think on something why are we choosing the one that's going to bring destruction to us? So we do have a choice. And uh, when it comes to the thoughts we accept, you have control over your thought life. What will you hold on to? What will you accept? You know, in the Scriptures, we're taught to fight the good fight of faith. Right? And we need to remember this side of heaven. It's a winning battle, not a losing battle. You have Berlin in World War II. The uh, Allies were coming from the West. The Russians were coming from the East. Berlin was facing a losing battle. It was a matter of time. But the Allies were fighting a winning battle. It was a matter of time. We don't fight the losing battle. We fight the winning battle. It is a matter of time. So, um, when you do look at the real circumstances of life that press against us, I want to give you three important keys tonight. Hopefully you'll take them with you to always remember this. First one's very important, our first key. You're, hopefully you're in first, uh, Second Corinthians already. Uh, we're going to go to chapter 4 here, verses 16 to 18. This is an extremely important verse. Uh, this is the belief we must have in us. Verse 10, therefore, Paul says, we do not lose heart. 
Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, how about that? That is what Paul is calling the pressures of life. And he had some big ones. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us in a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, and the things which are not seen are eternal. So we have to find what report are we going to believe. The report that bombards my five senses, which Paul is telling me here, is momentary. And of course, you know, if you ever had problems that lasted a long time, if you look back 20, 30 years, those who are old enough to do that, seems like a moment. It's gone, forgotten. But a moment. That's why Paul calls it a momentary light affliction. But we look at the things which are not seen. The things that I don't have any witness for in the natural to my five senses, to my rational mind. Those are the things I hold by faith. Those are the things I find from the promises of God's Word. Those I hold on to, and I hold them greater in my heart than what I see pressing against me. Those are the things that are eternal. For what is temporary is subject to change. So, the key here is the principle, if I can see it, it's subject to change. It's never the final word. If I see it, it's subject to change. And if I can name it, lack of finances or, you know, oppression in our physical man, whatever. If I can see it, I can name it. Now it must go because it's under the authority of the name of Jesus. And I can name it and it must go. So these are the temporary ones that are subject to change. It is an old saying, right? This too must pass. Or this too shall pass. Right? This too shall pass. So uh, also consider here um, about what you're thinking, you know, is going to come out of your mouth. We're going to be thinking something and we're going to say something. I'm either going to say again how big my problem is or how big my God is. I'm going to put something out of my mouth somewhere. What will that be? Because it tells us in the Word of God, let everything be established in the mouth of two or more witnesses or two or three witnesses. This is interesting because circumstances are just one witness coming against you. Your mouth, when you speak it, is the second witness agreeing with it. And therefore, we establish that in our lives. Our mouth is the establisher that we're going to speak out of our mouth into this realm. What will I say? Will I agree with God's Word or will I agree with the circumstances coming against me? It will set the course for my life. What I speak matters. I'm not saying we're supposed to be ignoring things. I'm not talking about that. But I have a higher belief in God's Word before I have in what is out of harmony in my life and doesn't agree with the Word of God. You're going to say something, what are you going to agree with? Because what you do agree with, you set that course in your life. This thing is going to be the death of me. Probably will be. Keep talking like that. You have set it forth for the course for your life. Um, hey, I remember a story one time I had heard, a true story. Uh, this, there was a, this couple was in a car accident. They were both believers. And um, the woman was hurt worse than her husband. But when she looked over in the car to her husband, he said, I'm dying. 
when they got to the hospital, he died. And the doctors were astounded. They said to her, you were hurt a lot worse than him. But he said, I'm dying. He set the course of his life in motion. How about that? We don't agree with the devil's will for our lives. He's got one. We don't agree with it. We don't agree with it. Another key here, number two, uh, is Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 31. This is the assurance we must have in us. The last one I just mentioned was the belief we must have in us. This one is the assurance we must have in us. In uh, Romans chapter 8 here, in verse 28, uh, Paul says, we know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And in verse 31, and what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? This is the assurance we have to have. And you've got to remember, Paul has had some horrible circumstances in life. When you read about his life and, and the oppression he was under, uh, we don't have those kind of experiences. And yet he can say something like that about himself? That's amazing. What can we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? What really matters here? So this is an assurance we have to have that he will cause all things in our lives to work for good if we will trust him. If we will trust him, what we see that is not in harmony with God's will for my life has got to change. And, and what his will is must come to pass. And his will for me is not for disaster, but it's for a hope and a future. Amen? As it tells us in Jeremiah, it's for a hope and a future, not for disaster. So let's look at uh, key here, number three. This comes from the books of James and Hebrews. And the third key here is the key of joy and patience. We talked about this is the belief we must have. First, uh, Second Corinthians chapter four, Romans chapter eight, we looked at the assurance we must have within us. The third key here, the key of joy and patience. In James chapter one, verses two to four, it says here, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. How about that? We don't want to hear that. <laughs> I don't want to hear the patience part because I'm not very patient sometimes. I don't like the, the patience part, but I need it. I need the patience part because real character is forged by adversity. Now, the, in America, at least, the, the Depression generation was your last really tough generation. They were the ones who knew how to persevere under trial and not give up. That was your last very tough generation. Uh, America doesn't know what hardship really is. Hasn't grown up through the 1930s. Does not know what hardship really is. And they produce patience in these people and produce a character that is gone, pretty much because most of them are on their way out if they're not gone already. And um, it's important that our patient needs to be perfected uh, so that we would lack in nothing. Because if you can patiently wait upon the Lord, you can wait for anything. Amen. Amen. You can wait for anything. Here in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11, I said both, you know, James and Hebrews. Hebrews, it tells us here, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. Verse 12, that you, will not be, that you may not become sluggish, but imitate those through faith and patience inherit the promises. 
We are a microwave culture. I want it now. We should be a crock pot culture. God's a crock pot. He's a slow cooker. We want it now. We're microwaves. It doesn't work that way. Character is forged through adversity. Character is forged with patience. Character is forged with waiting on the Lord and waiting with joy, even though in the midst of trials can be pretty lousy. I wait on the Lord. And through faith and patience, we inherit the promises. That's a problem with so many folks because the enemy tends to wear people out. They're waiting and waiting and it wears people out because they're not willing to endure to the end. They lose hope. And that's a very serious issue. And I did a sermon a few Wednesdays back on, um, very recently, on joy. And we were mentioning that joy is a spiritual force and not dependent on circumstances. Happiness is dependent on circumstances. If circumstances are good, we're happy. If circumstances are not good, we're not happy. Joy will keep you even in the midst of unhappy circumstances. Right? I had said, when people say money can't make you happy, that's ridiculous. Of course it can. If I put a $100 bill in your hand, you'll smile. But it can't give you joy. Because when that 100 is spent, you got the puss on your face all over again. Right? But joy sustains you no matter what the circumstances of life. In the worst of circumstances, I can have a joy in the Lord and a peace that's in Christ. So, um, you know, the truth is it's selfish children that want to be happy. We're called to be joyful. I remember one time there was this television show years ago. Oh, gosh, what was that called? Um, the Desperate Housewives of, what was it? Everybody remember that one? All right, anyway, this lady had, um, she was being unfaithful to her husband, and her husband was, was in an accident or something, so she was sitting in the hospital room there, and this priest comes in and sits down and looks at her, apparently he knew her, he knew her, and he said, what do you want? I just want to be happy. And the priest said to her, sounds like the will of a selfish child. I said, pretty good theology, I like this guy. Yeah, people want to be happy. Wrong. We should be seeking joy. Joy sustains us no matter what. Regardless of the circumstances we're in, we're in we want the mature decision to be a people with joy on their faces. What is it in Hebrew? Nosh? Yeah, nosh. Joy. Is it nosh? Ooh. Is that Yiddish? Ah, never mind. I got it wrong. I remember there were these. Uh, uh, okay, I was thinking, not nosh. No, I heard it wrong. Somebody told me wrong. It was not me. I heard wrong. Now I know. And, that, and knowing sets you free. See, that? So now we know this. Anyway, we want to make a mature decision to go with joy. Uh, so, hey, you know, what we need to do is we need to find the promise. This is a, this is a promise book. It's a book full of seeds, and they're planted by faith in your heart. And there's, it's full of promises, but it's going to stay there in the book unless I do something with it, unless I take this seed, put it in my heart, and put faith with it, and water it with faith. And uh, so this is a book of promises, and we need to find the promise in God's Word that speaks about the attack that we're going through. 
the circumstances that are not in harmony with the promises God has given us. That says the opposite of what we're experiencing. Uh, so that the temptation to worry won't hold on to it, the, the, the circumstance. Rather, we're holding on to the, to the promise that this promise is greater than what I see, and therefore it's subject to change. You know, so many times you have people come to you and they mean well. They want to uh, have you agree with them in prayer on something. Okay, 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 okay. And I'm listening. But they never tell you what scripture they're holding on to. Actually, it's extremely rare. Probably less than 2% of the people I meet, if they ask you for a, to, to pray with them about something, to agree with them about something, I kind of look at them and go, and what scripture are you holding on to? They don't have one. Very, very rare because God performs his word, not my wants. His word has to be the foundation of all the wants or you're just asking to miss. He wants to know what word he's, you're bringing back to him that he can agree with. You know, so when we go to ask for prayer for folks from folks, we should say, and I'm holding on to and believing God on this scripture that we've already found. You know, and when you find that scripture, that promise to you, write it down somewhere. Maybe put on a sticky note on your mirror in your bathroom or on your fridge uh, so it's constantly in front of your face. Speak it out out of your mouth. Meditate on it in your heart. Mold it over inside of you. Speak it forth. Uh, because it's the word of God that we want to see come to pass, not what I think should come to pass. Very important that we find the scripture. Why am I believing? What am I believing for? Why am I doing? What is the basis of why the Lord should just answer my prayer? He's not my butler to answer my selfish whims. What is the scripture that I'm believing on that he put in there as his idea that I would put faith in? And when you find that, you hold on to it until what you see that's subject to change changes. So, how do I get this to work in my life when I need it? I want to dwell on the promises of God's Word, and then I want to go to worship with it. You know, God's promises lead us into worship. Now, our worship is a response to who He is, but our praise is a response to what He's done for us. We want to remember what He's done for us and praise Him for that and hold on to the worship of who He is. If he never answers one more prayer request, he gets my total devotion as long as I have breath in my nostrils. Amen? So, it says here also then in James chapter 5 here in verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone among you cheerful? Let him sing psalms. So, what do you do in the meantime as you're holding on to God's Word for what you see that has to change? And I want to see God's word as the conformity, not what I see. What, what do I do in the meantime as I patiently wait? Because what I see is subject to change. It's temporary. I got the assurance for in me. I know all things are going to work together for good because I trust him. What do I do? I pray and I sing. I worship. I pray and I sing. What if I don't? You'll worry. Praying and singing unto the Lord kills worry. Pray and singing unto the Lord, it kills worry. I, I think I, I've, I've told the story here more than once. 
I guess a good time to mention it again because of singing. There was this particular pastor, very large church. If I mentioned his name, you might not know him because I think he went home to be with the Lord. But anyway, this is many, many years ago in the 1960s. He was in big demand, traveling all over the United States as a speaker. He fell into a severe depression. And every time he got an on an airplane, he'd hope it'd crash. Obviously, the plane didn't crash. So he got off the plane unhappy. He was still alive. So I don't know what it was, his hotel room or what, but one day he just came to his senses and says, I can't live like this. And the Lord quickly reminded him, he started his roots out in ministry as a worship leader, not a pastor. And this was his testimony. He said he sung his way out of the depression he had. He made sure every day he had a song on his lips, worshiping the Lord, whatever was personal to him. And he sung his way out, and it never, ever returned. Horrible circumstances that he was giving into to the point where he wanted to die every time a plane landed. Oh my gosh, it's horrible. But he sung his way out of the depression. You need to have a song on your lips. I did a, I did a sermon on that one time. You need to have a song on your lips. Shouldn't have a day go by that you're not singing something unto the Lord. Amen. It really puts uh, salt in your shaker. It really puts a joy on your face. Worry doesn't want to hang around a singer. It just doesn't. It can't hang around when you have a joy on your, on your face singing unto the Lord. And that could be extremely personal, uh, what you do sing, but boy, have a song on your lips. Not some dopey secular song. I'm talking about worship the Lord. Some simple chorus, doesn't have to be even a very, you know, very great. Just make sure you have a song on your lips to worship the Lord. So actually, that's actually my point here tonight, is that we're always supposed to remember how, Father much, how much Father God loves us and how much it would sadden Him when we worry. That's definitely not His plan for our lives. His plan for our lives is that we would be full of joy, full of faith, living a life of expectation to see his promises come to pass in our days, that we would be used of him in our days. And those things that come against us that to live on planet earth, something's going to come against you somewhere, that we don't let that knock us down, that we get through that and we stand in faith. Okay, okay I tell you, you're living in worry days, man. People out there today, they live in worry days. I meet them all the time. Worry has taken over people's lives so big. Uh, especially with the things in the news today, etc., people are in like worry land. Worry, worry, worry. My gosh. Uh, and yet, you know, uh, we want to make sure we don't pray amiss because uh, he respects our free will. He's not going to force us not to worry. That's something you have to do. You hear people pray amiss like that. Uh, we can't have uh, prayers like, oh Lord, take these worries from me. No, that's your job to do. He's not going to take them from you. That's your free will decision to push them away. Right? He's not going to do for you what you have been uh, called by him to do for yourself. You'll tie your kid's shoes, but sooner or later you're going to give up. You're going to walk barefoot if you don't tie them for yourself. That's just it. Parents sooner or later got to get tough. You know, that's just the way life goes. Uh, hey, he's not going to take them away for you. 
That's what you have to do by putting your faith in his word over the uh, opposite of what the worry is trying to get you to believe in. Right? And if we have adult children, right, we can't treat them like kids, even though sometimes they act like kids. Uh, we have to respect their free will decisions to make wrong answers, uh, wrong decisions. And so we can pray for them. We can cheer them on to keep their right decisions, but they have to walk for themselves. You know, Father God will cheer us on in Holy Spirit, but we need to make the right decisions and trust Him and not worry. Are you getting something out of this? I hope so. Okay. It's a reminder, I guess, for some people. Hey, I'm talking to myself, not just you. I'm talking to myself too. All right, let's look here at uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Uh, this is a very classic passage from Jesus on instruction not to worry, with my commentary added. Okay, so uh, look at this as uh, your Father God has given you loving advice through Jesus. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, Jesus is speaking, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about, about your body, nor what you will put on. Is, life more, not, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Yes. That's the answer to that. Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. By the way, they are worthless in men's eyes. Now, if you like birds, I'm sorry. I don't mean to step on your toes, but they are worthless in men's eyes. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather in, in barns. In other words, they don't do works. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more value than they? Yes. Verse 27. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubic, that's a measurement, to, uh, to his stature? Can't. So, why do you worry about clothing? implies here possessions. It implies this is a silly worry. How about that? This is a silly worry. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, and they neither toil nor spin. Again, flowers worthless in men's eyes. Yet they're beautiful. And I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. That is, to have a beauty that only God can give that men can't earn. Verse 30. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not so much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So we have here that the point that we are of eternal value, have an eternal value, and do you really think Father God is that careless to forget us? Thus the comment, little faith. Yet God would be better than this. I expect more than this, Jesus is telling us. Verse 31, therefore do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after these things the Gentiles seek. That is those who are not of faith worry. Because they have no eye of faith to believe. They pursue this as their whole life's purpose. But he tells us here, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And that's the key here that we don't want to let go of. Another key here to defeat worry, frankly, is to seek first the kingdom of God. 
I find people in heavy worry really are kingdom of God seekers. It's all about them. They're their own kingdom. We've got to get beyond that. We've got to get beyond that. There's something much bigger than you and me. It's the kingdom of God, which means the government of God, his prophetic purpose in our lives, in this world today, in the human race today, in his plan of history being unveiled, his story. And uh, we need to seek first the things of the kingdom. Because when you seek first of the things of the kingdom, you're seeking first something that he is involved in. If you want God involved in your life, what are you doing to be involved in what's important in his eyes? Right? We usually waste so much of our time in, with things that have no eternal value whatsoever and make them the absolute goal of our lives. When we have to realize if, we, if I want God involved in my life, I need to be involved in what the things of the kingdom are. And guess what? He shows up. All of a sudden, God is showing up in ways that you didn't expect. So the key here is that we uh, defeat worry by seeking the kingdom of God. Kingdom-minded people are not warriors. I don't know if you've noticed that. I've noticed that. Kingdom-minded people are not warriors. If we do this, all of them get added to you anyway. And you know, that's advice the evil one will never give you. But that is the device we need to hold on to. Or am I, I have to answer myself that question all the time. And what I'm doing and whatever I'm doing, am I seeking first the kingdom of God? Am I really doing that or am I seeking my own will? I don't get it right sometimes, you know what I mean? Am I seeking first the kingdom of God? One last scripture here I want to look at tonight is in Philippians chapter 4, in verses 6 to 8. This is again guidance from the Word of God to help us prevent worry taking over our lives. How about that? You know, there were so many scriptures there uh, just uh, talking about the worry of life that we seem to embrace so easily here. Okay, Father God loves us enough to tell us ahead of time of what Paul is going to tell us. And in verse 6, Paul is saying, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In fact, that's a military expression there in the original Greek, which means putting a guard around you, like a garrison of, of, of protection. And here it is, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever things are just, whatever are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's of any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And the things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace shall be with you. So what's supposed to be filling my mind if we go back there to verse 8? Things that are true, noble, pure, lovely, of good report, virtue, praiseworthy. If my thoughts aren't there, get rid of those thoughts fast because they're going to lead to worry. Because I guarantee you the worry will never be what is true, noble, lovely, pure, virtue, praiseworthy. Never. But if I will fill my mind with those thoughts, the worry can't find any room to be in my mind. Because I'm dwelling on the things that honor the Lord. I'm to meditate on those things. I have to absorb my life. I mutter them to myself constantly. 
And these things you have learned and received and heard. What have we learned and received from heard in the body of Christ from those that are teaching and preaching the word of God to encourage us? We're to also uh, dwell on that. Things that we see in the believers. I don't know about you, but I meet a lot of believers that are great men and women of faith, and I'm encouraged by them. Their lives are an encouragement to me, and I want to copy what I see. They're the ones I want to be like when I grow up, you know? I want to be like them. And I meet them all the time, and this church is filled with them. Thank you, Jesus. I admire them, and I constantly want to be like them. So I, rem I model their behavior. So um, these things here, and, th and what we saw there in verse 8, if you haven't already underlined those things in your Bible, those words, true, noble, pure, lovely, good report, virtue, praiseworthy, you should in some capacity. Because these are always daily choices. Whatever I did yesterday with this doesn't do me any good today. Isn't that amazing? Yesterday's word isn't good enough for me. I need today's word. Tomorrow's thoughts, I need to have these in tomorrow's thoughts. It's a daily choice that we all have before us. Uh, so why do I say this? Because we're all going to have challenges and opportunities every single day to worry. Every single day. Uh, I'm, I'm, one prayer I always have when I start my day, thank you, Lord, I receive good news today and blessings. I receive good news and blessings. And I make sure when that day's over, I think over, oh, what came today that was good news and blessings? And I make sure I thank him for them. And they do come every day. We always have opportunities coming to us where we don't want to uh, put a smile on our face. We have to always remember, I got to resist that on a daily basis. Father God loves us, and he's given us this way out of that torment of worry. But it's our choice. I can't live your life for you. You can't live mine. I have to make these decisions, and that's just what I want to share with you tonight. I hope you make the same decisions. Living a life of worry is lousy. Affects your health, affects everything, affects everybody around you. Nobody wants to be around a warrior, right? I want to be around people that have praise on their lips, encouragement on their lips. Tell me why they love Jesus today, right? A fanatic is just somebody who loves Jesus more than you do. That's all. We call them fanatics. But actually, they're normal. Let's close here in prayer. Father God, truly may we embrace the things, Lord God, that are true today, that are lovely, Lord God, that are praiseworthy, Father, that are just, Lord God. May these things fill our mind, Father, day by day, that we would embrace, Lord God, your promises, that, Father God, we would see them come to pass in our day, not for our own selfish existence, but that, Father God, we would have an abundance in our life to help the lives of others, Lord God. That we would help others with the joy and the comfort we have received in the Lord to be a blessing to them. Because it's not all about me. It's all about seeing the kingdom of God advance in my generation. Help me, Father, to have that picture within me. Help us all, Father, to have that picture within us that we are those that advance the kingdom of God. That, it could be, that we could be accused of that, people who are advancing the kingdom. Lord God, may our lives be filled with the joy each day that you have for us, not the worry of what could happen and the lies of the evil one to try to steal from us the peace that you've given us. We thank you for this, Father God, that we would leave here remembering this in the days ahead, that, Father God, we would live 
a victorious Christian walk. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? amen. Praise the Lord. Amen.